you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to uh, kind of continue where we left off last week. Last week we talked about the calling. Today we're talking about discipleship. And uh, <coughs> Mark chapter 8, beginning verse 27 all the way to verse 38, gives us a kind of a Christ's uh, picture of what it means to be his follower. Now, a couple of things. Discipleship is a fancy term that we use in the church. Let me tell you what discipleship means. Discipleship means that I am becoming more like Jesus every day. That's discipleship. Discipleship is me becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship is not... Discipleship is not filling out blanks in a book. Discipleship is not taking notes in a sermon. Discipleship, in its essence is me becoming more like Jesus. So today, my question is, are you becoming more like Jesus? Not are you smart about Jesus? Not do you know the history of Jesus? Not do you, uh, have you gone through the T.W. Hunt master life or disciples prayer life or a Beth Moore study and filled out all the blanks or, or Ann Graham Lott's study and filled out all the blanks? I'm not talking about that. That's not discipleship, that's learning. Discipleship is where you and I become more like Jesus. Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? That's discipleship. Now, remember, I talked about us being in Neverland. Now, some of us, some of us last week, uh, we, we looked, Peter Pan is fun, but you can't live in Neverland forever. Uh, Neverland is where you don't grow up, okay? Uh, many of us in the church, we are still in Neverland. We haven't grown up. Why? Because we're not becoming more like Jesus. We're stuck. Today, I hope and pray that you and I begin to understand what it takes to move beyond the stuckedness of, uh, of Neverland. Uh, look down, and, and I want us to begin the last two verses of Mark chapter 8, verses 37 and 38. I want us to begin here because this is what we're trying to avoid. Verse 38 specifically. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him, of that person, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what we're trying to avoid. We do not want to get to heaven as a follower of Christ and be ashamed of the life that we've lived. In fact, a good question that you and I need to ask ourselves every day is, if Jesus were to evaluate us right now, what would the grade be? If you want to write down a verse that's similar to Mark 8, 38, write down 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 5, 9 through 11 is a passage where the Apostle Paul says, we all, as followers of Christ, as Christians, going to heaven when we die, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we might give an answer for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So all of us, as followers of Christ... We're going to get to heaven one day, and we are going to be evaluated by Christ. And he's going to say, good job, bad job. And we don't want to get there and be ashamed of the life that we've lived this side of heaven. So what would your grade be? If, boom, you're there. And you're standing there before the judgment seat of Christ, what would your grade be? Some of us, we're kind of C-minus material. Some of us are 
in the B range. Most every morning that I wake up, the moment I wake up, I'm right around A+. And it deteriorates quickly. Today, if you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, would, would he be ashamed? Would you be ashamed? We're going to try to avoid that. So how do we avoid that? Well, the first thing, the big picture idea that we need to see in this passage is that we follow Jesus according to his terms, not ours. Guys, following Jesus is not going to Cracker Barrel. Yesterday, uh, Edie and I went to Cracker Barrel and walked in and, and uh, woke up to the little counter. They say, would you, like, uh, would you uh, like the dinner or the breakfast menu? And I said, yes. <laughs> Sat down and, and, and opened up the, the menus, both of them, and looked through there. And, and don't you love Cracker Barrel? You have all these options. And, and normally when I go to Cracker Barrel, I get chicken fried steak, uh, uh, french fries, french fries, and fried okra. Or I get chicken fried steak, french fries, fried okra, and fried okra. That's usually what, yesterday I shook it up a little bit. Yesterday I I said, I don't see this on the breakfast menu, but here's what I would like. I would like four scrambled eggs, uh, country ham, and uh, a small stack of pancakes. And Edie kind of looked at me weird. I said, what is it, babe? She said, I've never seen you eat pancakes. And I said, well, I've got to be in the mood for them. She said, 20 years it takes you to get in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> Ate every one of them. But anyway, I, we, like, we like to treat following Jesus like a menu at Cracker Barrel. But it's not. You see, we don't get to set the terms of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus sets those terms. You and I don't have veto power over the expectations of Christ. You don't get to determine what you'll do and what you won't do as a follower of Christ. Now, you can say, I'm not going to do that, but don't pretend like you're a faithful follower of Christ. I, we, we, and, and I was telling, I think, Elizabeth this one night. We were talking about different things, and I said, you know, one of the things about me, one of my things is that um, when I sin, it's not like I'm trying to convince myself that my sin is not sin. You know, some people try to, try to take the sin in their life and try to rewrap it and redefine it and say, well, that's not really sin. Well, no, I never did that. I still don't do that. When I sin, I know it's sin. I call it sin, and I do it anyway, which is, I guess, a little bit worse. That's just big, boastful, pride, arrogant stuff. But wait a second. Every time we determine to follow Jesus according to our terms rather than Christ's terms, that's exactly what we're doing. We're being rebellious. So Jesus takes this moment around Caesarea Philippi to to set the terms of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So look, begin verse 27 of Mark chapter 8. It says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, uh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others 
uh, say you're one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. And he strictly warned them that they shouldn't tell anyone about that. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him for when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man gain, uh, give in exchange for his soul? So it, as we look at these verses, um, Jesus sets the terms of being his follower. The first term is this, we need to understand who Jesus is. We need to understand who Jesus is. You look up and in verse 27, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi and as they're walking along uh, by this big waterfall uh, in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, called the Banyos, and, and, and uh, they stopped there, and there are different altars to different gods, and, and, and certainly there were uh, people worshiping at these different altars. Jesus stops, and he says, okay, I see all these altars, but who do people around here say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. They're talking about being a, a big dog, you know, someone, someone coming in for God, uh, inaugurating a kingdom, but Jesus stops and says, well, okay, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. A great confession, great statement, the Christ. But here's the problem with that statement. It was incomplete. It, it was true. Jesus is the Christ. But when Peter and the disciples thought of Jesus being the Christ, they thought of the one who had come to uh, overthrow the Roman government and inaugurate this earthly kingdom. And, and Jesus understood that that's what they understood. But Jesus wanted them to understand that's incomplete. Some of us are here today and we have an incomplete view of who Jesus is. We, we look to Jesus as a good moral teacher, gives us good principles for living or, 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 or lessons for life. And, and we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me my answers today. Uh, how, how can I live my life today? And, and although that's true, Jesus is a good teacher and he will give us lessons for living and principles for, for our everyday living. Now, that, that's true, but that's not all that Jesus is. That's not enough to understand who Jesus is. Some of us look to Jesus and we, we think of Jesus not just as a moral teacher. We think of him as a, the, the sanctified Santa Claus fix-it kind of dude. And so we cry out to Jesus when, we're, when our hearts are hurting and our souls are squashed or our boyfriend's broken up with us or we're in trouble. And we talk to Jesus then and say, Jesus, come fix my problems. And, and, and let me tell you something. The good news is that Jesus wants to fix your problems. He does. And, and so it's not a wrong view of Jesus, it's just not complete. It's insufficient. And Peter said, you're the Christ. He, he had the right answer, but it was incomplete. So Jesus began to uh, refine, define who he was in light of their understanding. He, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected and despised by the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders to be killed on a cross and three days later 
uh, be raised from the dead. And, and, and that, that's who Jesus is. See, here's what we need to know about Jesus. He's not just a good teacher, and he's not merely the super, uh, super uh, sanctified Santa Claus fix-it guy. But this is Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, who came on mission to die in the place of sinners on a cross. Jesus who came uh, in order to bring rescue to you and to me. We need to understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, but he is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53, who was bruised for my sin, who was beaten for my sin, who took the beating so that I might have peace with God. This is Jesus who died for me, who was raised from the dead and is Lord over all. We need to understand who Jesus is, that he is Lord. And let me ask you a question, who is Jesus to you? A moral teacher is not sufficient. It's a good answer, but it's not sufficient. sanctified super Santa Claus fix-it person, it's true. He'll fix it. He wants to. That's not enough. The one who rescues me from hell, yes, closer, but not complete. Jesus is my Lord. Are you there? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he your Lord? Peter was not there yet. See, as we begin to understand who Jesus is, then we begin to see not only who Jesus is, but we need to get focused. If we're going to follow Jesus according to his terms, not our own, we need to get focused. I thought of different ways to say this. Get focused is one of those ways. I thought, you know, get your head on straight. I thought that'd be a good way to say it. Um, uh, get, get your mind right, wrap your head around the right thing. I, I thought all those things. Bottom line, Peter was out of sync, and he had to get focused. And look at what Jesus said. Now, Peter said to Jesus, he rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? The arrogant gall of Peter to rebuke Jesus. That, that, yeah, but isn't that kind of what we do? Every time we determine that we're going to set the terms for what it means to be a follower of Christ rather than submitting to the terms that Jesus sets. Every time we say, I get to call the shots on what I'm going to do as a follower of Christ, not you, Jesus, then we're being just like Peter here. Every bit is prideful and arrogant. And Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, and then, and, and, and then Jesus sees Peter, and he looks at all the disciples, and here's what he says. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not focused, you are not mindful of the things of God. You're focused, you're mindful of the things of man. Now, why did uh, Peter rebuke Jesus? Well, because the path that Jesus was talking about was not the path that Peter wanted to walk. And it's certainly not the path he wanted Jesus to walk. To suffer, to sacrifice himself in service to sinners. What? No, 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 Jesus, that, that doesn't work for me. And Jesus nailed it. He said, Peter, your problem is you are only thinking about yourself. 
You're only thinking about what's important to you. You're not thinking about what's important to God. You're focused on what you want. You're not focused on what God wants. Can I just suggest that the reason so many of us are stuck in Neverland, as followers of Christ, we're not growing, we're not becoming more like Jesus. You want to know why? Could I suggest it's because we don't want to submit ourselves to what God wants. We would much rather God submit himself to what we want. And God doesn't operate like that. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, and, and I pray that the Spirit of God would apply it to your heart as he applies it to mine. Whenever we set the terms for what it means to be a follower of Christ, whenever we decide what it means to be a follower of Christ, rather than submitting to what God decides it means to be a follower of Christ, when we decide what, what looks good as a follower of Christ, when we make that determination, we come very close to the demonic. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. Some of us are here and, and we have determined what is and what isn't okay for us to do as followers of Christ. We've determined that, not God. We've determined that. So what Jesus says, you need to get focused. You need to, you need, you, your problem is you're mindful of your stuff. You're not mindful of God's stuff. You're elevating what you want. You're not elevating what God wants. Peter was looking at that and he said, wait, 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 wait a second. This idea of suffering and sacrifice and service, man, that's not what I signed up for. And many of us are here today and we say, no, I just signed up to get out of hell. I didn't sign up for this suffering and sacrifice and service stuff. That's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Remember, discipleship is where we become more like Jesus every day. And if we're going to become more like Jesus every day, it means that we're going to take on suffering, sacrifice, and service. We need to get focused on the things that are important to God, not the things that are important to us. Even today in this place, even today in this place, you are sitting right where you are in that comfortable little padded pew and you are so focused on what you want that you're not even thinking about what God wants. And you think that you're doing God a favor because you're sitting in a padded pew? Maybe you got your pen out you, or your iPhone, you're taking notes and looking at version Bible app. You think that that's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ? No, 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 no. It means that you're more focused on what God wants than what you want. We need to get focused. And as we get focused, then we understand that there are barriers we need to remove. We need to remove the barriers, okay? So Jesus is talking to Peter, and he rebukes him. He says, okay, you're mindful of your stuff, not God's stuff. So here's what you need to do. You need to remove the barriers between you and becoming more like Jesus. Imagine it like this. You and I, if you've ever been to the Smoky Mountains, perhaps you've gone to Abrams Falls uh, in Cades Cove. You go to Cades Cove, you go to the trailhead of Abrams Falls, you start the hike, and you have this, you've got about a mile, a uh, mile and a half of flat walking, and then you start going up 
one mountain and you go up that one mountain and at one point almost the height of that mountain uh, on the side the trail gets about a foot and a half wide maybe two feet wide and to your right is a sheer cliff uh, to your left is a deep drop down to Abrams Creek and 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 it can get a little frightening uh, only one person could get by. So you get up there and you go make that turn. You go down and, and you're down into, uh, down into a valley again. And, and you see the, the Abrams Creek to your left. You start walking again. Then after about another mile, you start up another ridge. And this one's even taller and even higher and even wider and uh, even, even more uh, frightening. And, and up almost to the apex, you've gone around once, gone around twice. Almost to the apex, you, you get to this one skinny spot. And as you get to that one skinny spot, the trail, I promise you, the trail is no more than a foot and a half wide. And to your right, you've got sheer cliff rocks. And to your left, you've got a deep drop down to the really nothingness. Imagine you're walking along and your goal is to get to Abrams Falls. And the only way to get to Abrams Falls is to go along this narrow piece. And you're making your journey. And, 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 and as you make that, that one last turn on that one last switchback and then you're going to go downhill, uh, your way is blocked because all these boulders that have fallen in a, in a, in a rock slide. And you look at that and, and, and you see and you know quickly you can't go over it because you've got the rock cliff on the side and you can't go around it because, I mean, you can go down but you won't come back up. The only way for you to get to Abrams Falls is if you remove those boulders. There's no other way. Or you can go back home to Neverland. You know, some of us as followers of Christ, what we've opted to do is we get to those boulders, those barriers between us and becoming more like Jesus, and we say, I'm not going to do the hard work of removing those barriers. I'm just going to go back to Neverland and not grow up. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, what's the phrase there? Deny himself. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. Deny himself. We don't like that idea of denial, self-denial. You know what that means? It means we've got to deal with ourselves radically, regularly, and ruthlessly. Let, let, let me just share with you just a, a simple truth. If I'm not becoming more like Jesus, it's because I've got self in the way. I'm talking personally here. It's not because some outward circumstance, I've got people being mean and mad at me. That doesn't keep me from becoming more like Jesus. It's not because of a downturn in an economy. No, that doesn't keep me from becoming more like Jesus. You want to know what keeps me from becoming more like Jesus? From following after Jesus? You want to know what it is? It's myself. When I say myself, I'm talking about my pride. I'm talking about my ego. I'm talking about being focused more on what's important to me than what's important to God. And if you and I are going to grow up in Christ, if we're going to follow after him the way, we, uh, the way, the way we're supposed to and made to as followers of Christ, if we're going to grow up as Christians, then we must remove the barriers. We must do the hard work of removing each <clears throat> of those boulders. Deny yourself. He said, to deny yourself simply means that you, uh, you do spiritual surgery on the things that are keeping you from pursuing what God wants. Um, I, I try not to, I, I try to give you glimpses into my life that are funny, but not, not too serious. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know that I went to Cracker Barrel yesterday, and you know what I ate. And that makes you feel like you know me a little bit. At least you know what I like to get at Cracker Barrel. 
But that's not real stuff. I mean, I, 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 that's, that's not real stuff. You read my Facebook page, you get to know a lot about me. Not really. You get to see stuff. Well, just some stuff. But if you ever see one of these little black books, and it's mine, you get to see a lot more about me. See, I have a lot of these little black books, and some of them, some of them are just uh, verses, some of them just different studies that I've done, but, but in the midst of them, in the midst of these little black books, you'll find me doing the hard work of removing barriers. It's where I write down and identify those, <coughs> those obstacles of myself, my sin, keeping me from becoming more like Jesus. I want to take a moment just to read a couple of them to you. Um, and, and I have to be careful because I don't want to embarrass my children. Don't want to embarrass my wife. Don't want to embarrass my mama. It's not really embarrassing to me too much. There are a couple in here that I wouldn't want you to read. Um, here's, here's one. Uh, this is from March the 28th, 2011. Um, talking about finishing well, what keeps me from finishing well is that I'm personally conceited. And I am socially careless. What that means is that I will compromise my compassion for others because I'm too focused on myself. I stopped caring, this is what I began to write, I stopped caring about other people. I stopped thinking about uh, what will bless them and when I stop thinking about what will bless them then destruction follows and I don't know what that destruction follows meant but it meant something big to me back then because I've got an exclamation point um, and so I need to run with the end in mind and I need to run um, purposefully to love the way Jesus loved I need to kick selfishness out of my heart now that's just me that was me on march the 28th 2011 on uh march the 4th 2011 i said uh, how good is good enough the answer is i'm never good enough but christ is so that's that's not bad that's not bad. I've got uh, a Victor Hugo quote in here from uh, March of 2010. It says, uh, strong and bitter words indicate a weak cause. And then I go and I say, I've been, uh, when I'm searching for comfort and satisfaction, but not through God's gospel, then I will have discomfort. When I'm searching for culture's satisfaction, I'm only going to be lonely. Because it's absent the redeeming work of Christ. When I'm searching for satisfaction from, from my hope for control, then um, I will be consigned to the bitter fruit of something. I can't read my own writing. You, you know what this is, though? It's just me taking time to remove boulders. 
It's me taking the time to get rid of the stuff that keeps me from becoming more like Jesus. It's a way for me to confess my sin, to abandon it, to reject it. Here's one from February 10th of 2012. It says, no amount of falsity can cover the truth that comes shining toward us. Don't know what that means, but apparently it had to do with truth and non-truth. Can, can I ask you, are you doing the hard work of removing the barriers between you and becoming more like Jesus? Guys, you're not perfect. I know you're not. And I know that there are barriers every day that stand between you and becoming more like Jesus. Are you getting rid of them? Are you dealing with them? Are you just acknowledge, are, are you just decide never lands fun enough? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do the hard work. Uh, there was a friend of mine, I call him a friend, it, it, it was of sorts, and 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 he uh, uh he had the worst attitude per, I, I, I mean, I just the worst attitude I've ever seen. That may be an exaggeration. He's in the top 10 in my life, though. Just terrible attitude. And he was a minister sort like I am. He was a professional preacher dude type person. Had the worst attitude. Always complaining. Nothing's ever good enough. And honestly, he blamed you people. Oh, I'm serious. He would blame you guys for how bad his life was. Spent all his time griping and complaining. Well, if they would do this, and if they would do that, and if they would do the other thing, they, 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 they. I just got sick and tired of it. I, I called him on it one day. You know what made me call it on it one day is because I walked into a room, and he was in front of Somebody like this with his hand pointed at his nose like that, standing over him like that. And he was kind of a big guy doing this business, just yelling at him. I stopped him. I said, what, what is your deal? I didn't say it like that. I said it a lot worse. In Jesus' name, though. Give me five. All right. I said, what is your deal? Bottom line was, he said, well... They did this and they did that. I, I just asked him, do you think that you're acting like Jesus? He said, well, no, but that's okay. <laughs> what? I went up to the guy that he was yelling at. I said, what happened? He said, oh, no big deal. I said, that didn't bother you? He said, yeah, but that's just the way he is. Now, some of y'all have taken that posture, though. You just say, well, that's just the way I am. It's okay that I don't act like Jesus. It's okay that I'm not growing up. It's okay that I'm not following Jesus. Remember, the minute we start giving ourselves excuses not to remove the barriers, we're coming pretty close to the demonic. Get behind me, Satan. Are you and are we doing the hard work of removing the, the, the barriers, the boulders? See, our, our journey is to become like Jesus. But we have to do the honest work. Maybe that's part of the problem. It's just coming clean. 
We have to do the honest work of removing the barriers. And then, as we remove the barriers, then we pursue God's purposes. You know, I think part of our challenge, one of the reasons why we stay in Neverland, talked about this last week, one of the reasons we stay in Neverland as followers of Christ, never grow up, is because we are so intent on pursuing our purpose and we don't really care that much about God's purpose. Oh, we'll give it a good mention. We might even give some of our money to God's purposes, but really God rescued us by His grace so that we become more like Jesus. And in becoming more like Jesus, it means that, that, that Christ's passion becomes our passion. That, that Christ's mission becomes our mission. That, that what was important to Jesus must be important to us. I mean, all important to us. Let's just, let's just dig through that a little bit. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said that, that he had come to bring glory to God the Father. John 17, bring glory to God the Father by giving eternal life to lost people like you and me. Today, you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to grow up, if we're going to become more like Christ... You and I must pursue this purpose. Now, here's the way Jesus said it. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Then he uses this phrase, take up his cross and follow me. Now, taking up the cross, some of us have identified that as a burden that we bear or some some malady in our world, and and it could be, but, but look at verse 35. Verse 35 really does identify a little bit more about what the cross is all about. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's not talking about just having a tough time. He's saying you're going to give up your life for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. That's pursuing God's purpose. And again, this is where many of us just stop. See, we've identified God's purpose as making me feel good. Or making me happy. Or making me comfortable. Or doing the stuff I want him to do. That must be God's purpose. Friends, that's not God's purpose. God's purpose is to take the good news of the kingdom to those who don't have it. God's purpose is the same purpose for which Christ came and rescued you and me from the guilt of our sin. God's purpose is to see every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know Him as Savior and King. God's purpose is for you and for me to go along and every breath of our life be passionately pursuing the exaltation of Christ, the advancement of the gospel. So here's the question. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you pursuing God's purpose? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Remove the barriers. Take up his cross and follow me. Anyone who desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever will give up his life for my sake and the gospel, Jesus said, 
that same person will live. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. May we say with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What grade would Jesus give you today? Let's bring up our grades in the sight of Christ.